TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. It's always a privilege, always a treat to have former ambassador for the United States to Israel, David Friedman. He's now a book author as well. It's called Sledgehammer. So, Mr. Ambassador, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Zev. Great to be with you. And good to see you at the Chabad of the Five Towns dinner the other night as well. There was. So I understand the book is off to a great start, 10,000 copies in the first week. That's amazing for a book about Israel, right? Yeah. uh, From what I'm told by the publisher, uh, they did some research. Uh, No book on Israel uh, has sold more copies in its first week uh, in the past 10 years. So um, uh, you're off to a great start. And I I hope more people read the book because... uh, it's an important story. I hope people read it. No, it is important. So now here you are. You were a lawyer working for Donald Trump. He becomes president of the United States, and then you get to be the ambassador. So I just want to go back a little bit. First of all, how did you meet and start working for Donald Trump? I was introduced uh, to Donald Trump by uh, by a good friend uh, named Howard Lorber. He's now the head of uh, Douglas Elliman. You know, I think it's the largest real estate brokerage in the country. And um, he introduced me when uh, uh, Donald uh, was having some uh, issues with his Atlantic City casinos, and I met him, and he hired me, and that's how I met him. That was about twenty years ago. It was a long time ago, and um, and then from time to time, uh, not often, but from time to time, I would represent him. And uh, as I say in the book, I, I had real success representing him uh, in ways that you know I myself probably wouldn't have predicted. We had tough cases, and we were able to prevail. And all of them, you know, at the time, uh, I was just, I just chalked it up to, uh, to good outcomes. Looking back on it, I think, uh, I think maybe there was something more to it. Maybe God was helping me, uh, gain some credibility with somebody who 20 years later would be in a position to change the world. But you, you he liked the fact that you outsmarted him. I think you're right about a, a deal where you made $5 million. You didn't want to pay with that amount of money, but you got it anyway. How did that come about? Well, you know, look, uh, it, it was it was all kind of tongue in cheek, but you know, he uh, he is uh, uh, he doesn't like to pay retail for anything. I mean, he's uh, he likes to get his money's worth, and he likes to get bargains, and he likes that with lawyers as well. Um, and uh, you know, he was hoping to uh, get a discount uh, from me. Now, I I thought got him an excellent result in a difficult case, and uh, you know, we uh, I managed to kind of get paid around him you know he didn't realize that i had gotten paid already when he asked me for a discount and i told him it's too late uh you know the, the money's already changed hands and he took it very well he laughed it off and said uh you know you're you're a smart guy you know god bless you keep the money you did a great job so it's i, I told the story mostly i think just to kind of humanize the relationship that i had with him well you also mentioned which i thought was very interesting is that when your father who was a prominent rabbi uh, Rabbi Morris Friedman, he had the Ronald Reagan at his uh, shul, and it was a big, big event. And when he passed away, the last day of Shiva was a snowstorm. Even people who were lived close by didn't come. But yet Donald Trump spent hours coming out to you, correct? Yeah, he uh, he arrived in the afternoon. It took him uh, four hours to get from Manhattan to uh, to Woodmere. And there was no one there, so he had the chance to really speak for a while. And, 
you know, I got to know him well. Then I was obviously in a in a vulnerable you know state because I just lost my father, and we talked about my father. We talked about his father. We talked about you know the things that motivate us. I found that he uh, you know had very uh, even though he's sort of a large even then he was sort of a larger than life character. But I found that you know one on one he had you know very uh, very uh, admirable uh, you know qualities in terms of how he felt about his family. So what is your secret that you're able to last so long? Because as you mentioned, uh, he can go through people. He can say you're fired, you know, like he did on The Apprentice. What's the key to your success, to your longevity and your relationship with him? Well, look, I've, I, I, I've always been loyal to him, um, especially, you know, once he became the, uh, the president. Uh, he's the commander in chief. He was elected by, uh, you know, by, by the American people, and I was always loyal to him. I had an uh, incremental respect, obviously, to the office of the president, which he held. Uh, I was always straight with him. I always told him uh, what I thought was uh, the right. I, I gave him what I thought was my best advice. I didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. Um, and I think that, you know, there was a level of mutual respect that um, that, that we had for each other. We continue to have for each other. And um, um, it, 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 there's, there's, there's real longevity there. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what what causes it, but, you know, compared to others, but, uh, I've certainly, uh, always given him my, my best advice and, uh, worked as hard as I could for him. How do you take it when you disagree with him? I think you did after the 20, after the last election, right? You disagreed with the fact that he said he shouldn't harp on it. Look, I, I really felt that, um, you know, the election was the election. I mean, there, there you can, you can relitigate this election. People will probably be writing books, about the 2020 election for the next 10 years. And, you know, the, the facts will go where they go. People are still looking at it. What I told him is that, you know, you had four years in office, which if you just look at what you accomplished, you look at the, uh, at the results, you know, four years of peace, four years of prosperity, uh, even with COVID, you know, you set the stage for, for vaccines and therapies that uh, without which we can only imagine where we'd be today. Um, so I said, you have a, an incredible record to run on both domestically and abroad. And why don't you, why don't you focus, you know, on, on all that you've done? I think you've done more in four years than most presidents have done in eight. And that was my advice to him. And it continues to be my advice to him because I'm proud of what he accomplished and what we accomplished. Um, uh, he, he's, he's, he's committed to getting to what he considers to be the, you know, the, the ultimate truth of that election. And he wants to, he wants to get through it. He feels very much aggrieved. By the way, he was treated beginning even before he was elected. Uh, uh, you're, you're following now the, you know, all the stuff that's coming out of the uh, special counsel's investigation about 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 the Russian hoax and how it was inflicted upon him. So he feels and Hillary aggrieved. Clinton, right? How she was involved? Yeah. So look, he feels aggrieved by it. He wants to get he wants to get the facts out. I don't blame him. I mean, I don't think any president in history has come into office with the amount of of, of headwinds he's had, the amount of challenges he's had from all the mainstream media and that's how he feels and look it's easy for me to give him advice but i didn't i wasn't the one who was you know being accused of being a traitor from the day i got into office i mean he was and so i understand how he feels and did he ever you know, share that frustration with you oh all the time absolutely i mean he's always he always felt that he never got a fair shake from uh you know 95 percent of of the media and it uh and 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 of course now he's watching uh you know in the biden administration where there's, you know, you could fill 24 hours a day of, of, of news stories about, about the failings of the Biden administration, about issues with, you know, with Hunter, issues with the president's health. I mean, there's a lot to say, but no one wants to say it. Um, and so that's also frustrating to him. 
you know, I find some of the things are ludicrous that he stuffed papers down, the flush papers down the toilets. It just doesn't even make any sense, but yet it gets reported in the media. I'm sure yeah. stuff like that must set him off. Well, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I never heard that until I saw it on TV. I have no idea what they're talking about. Um, nobody, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> if anybody wants to uh, uh, do away with a piece of paper, uh, I, I highly doubt anybody would use the toilet. I mean, it's, the, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 you can burn it, you can put it through a shredder, which is what most people do. Uh, it just doesn't sound uh, plausible. But, you know, again, I heard it for the first time like two weeks ago. Are you still in touch with uh, former President Trump? Yeah, I was with him about, uh, I went to visit him about uh, three or four weeks ago. I drove, uh, I'm in uh, Bell Harbor near Miami, you know, so I drove up to uh, Mar-a-Lago uh, to, to see him. I, I had a one-on-one with him for about an hour. Um, you know, we, we, we had a good conversation, talked about a lot of things. And um, Did he promise and, you if he uh, runs again that you'd be the ambassador to Israel again? We, we, we didn't discuss it, but um, I can tell you that if he does run again and he's successful, I would love to be the ambassador. And if And if any of our other friends decide uh, to run and become president and they become president. I, I feel the same way. I, I'd love to get back into that job. Um, I felt like there were still things left to be done. And uh, did he give you any indication if he's going to run? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, he's very careful about that. You know, there, there, there are a lot of legal ramifications from announcing that you're a candidate and, and he's not going to do that until at least after the midterms. We're speaking with former American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. His new book is called Sledgehammer. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast, or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevrenner at gmail.com. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is Talkline with Zeb Rana. He is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zeb. So Zeb, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep, keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. We're speaking with former American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. His new book is called Sledgehammer. So here you are, you're, you're a lawyer working for Donald Trump. He becomes president of the United States. So how do you go from corporate lawyer to becoming ambassador? So it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting uh, transition. You know, I had to live, uh, I had to learn the ropes of uh, being a diplomat. Um, it's not, I mean, there's, there's nothing about it which isn't um, intuitive. I mean, if your goal is to have uh, foster good relationships between America and another country, so you, you learn everything there is to learn about the country. I had the benefit of, uh, you know, of many decades being immersed in, 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 in issues relating to Israel and Israeli politics and Israeli history. So, I had that advantage. I was fluent in Hebrew. I had that, that advantage. 
Um, you know, the, the way the uh, State Department works is, um, is, is, is something you have to learn. And then you also have to learn um, how much of the State Department's, you know, idiosyncrasies and structure you're prepared to accept. Because at the end of the day, I viewed my job as being the president's personal representative in Israel, not, you know, while I might be technically employed by the State Department, I had a, I had a state.gov email address. But ultimately, my, my job is to represent the president, not anybody else. And so, and that um, came into play many times. We'll get to get that in just a moment. Yeah, but, it came but, into but play. My sure. question was, is how did the president think to get you? Because you were a lawyer, you weren't involved in diplomacy. How did he think that you would make a good ambassador to Israel? Well, yeah, look, we, we, we knew each other a long time. Um, he knew that I, um, I, I, I had a significant command of the subject matter. We had talked about Israel a lot. He knew how much Israel uh, meant to me. Um, he knew that I had, uh, I think, real negotiating skills, diplomatic skills, um, good on my feet, good before a camera, hopefully. Um, <laughs> hopefully we'll see if that's true today. Um, and um, I think I think the, the total package from his perspective was the right one for the job. Now, you mentioned the State Department. They're known, they have bureaucrats, they're also known for being anti-Israel. Did you ac- come across that? Well, what I found was a, um, a, a, a kind of a wooden insistence on doing things the way they've always done things. Now, when it comes to Israel, it's not, you know, overt anti-Semitism or overtly being anti-Israel, but it's treating Israel as a um, uh, almost as a problem within the region, uh, a problem to be solved rather than an opportunity to be exploited. So, you know, here, the United States and Israel have this extraordinary relationship on so many different levels, uh, including mostly, I think, importantly, you know, uh, intelligence and, and, and military cooperation and technology sharing. And um, it's the only democracy in the Middle East, and Israel's got eyes on threats that affect the United States that, frankly, it sees before anyone else does. And so there's all this great opportunity between us and Israel, and somehow the State Department views that as a challenge that needs to be managed. And the way I looked at it was, this is an opportunity, and we should strengthen this relationship as, as much as we can because it's it's the best way to advance the interests of America. So that was the that was sort of the the, the philosophical difference. And then you know there there was you know as, as I point out in the book, you know the Secretary of State really kind of was not interested in seeing me play the role that I played, which was primarily guiding the U.S. Israel relationship. And so there was a lot of friction. He didn't return my phone calls. You know um, he was very much against moving the uh, U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. And um, and of course, in, in a State Department, you know, it's run by the Secretary of State, so most people are going to naturally follow his views. So well, it was. Did Secretary of State Tillerson try to thwart the move even after it was announced? Did he try to stall it? That it would take many years before it actually happened. Yeah, he after the president decided to move the embassy, he then put out a, a memo that was many pages long with you know many questions and many subparts. Uh, about all the con- potential issues that could come up with physically moving the embassy. And it was clear just by looking at that, that what he was driving to was kind of slow rolling this process so that there would never be an embassy in Jerusalem, even if we were lucky enough to serve two terms. And and seeing that, I knew we had to kind of cut through it. And that's why I went to the president and asked him, you know, when do you want to move? When do you want to do this? And he said, as soon as possible. And so we bypassed that entire State Department process in favor of a a very accelerated move of the embassy, which took about four months. Didn't he tell you to tell Secretary of State Tillerson that you're in charge? He, he told me to tell him I'm in charge. And I said to the president, 
maybe you'll tell him uh, you're the president. And he said, I'm very busy. I got a lot of things to do. Tell the secretary that you're in charge on this issue and that, you know, and that you'll be handling it from here on in. And I did. And I think, you know, I can imagine I wasn't there when he got the email, but I think I was told the reaction was pretty negative. But at the end of the day, the president is the executive in charge of foreign policy and it's his decision. And ultimately, that's it. When the president decides something like this, uh, people have to march in line. And so from that moment on, I, I worked the day and night for about three months. We had a spectacular uh, opening of the embassy on May 14th, 2018. That's what a sledgehammer name Canada. comes about, right? Because you use a sledgehammer to, uh, on that day. Well, no, actually, literally, the, the sledgehammer actually was used, literally was used uh, a year later when we opened up the city of David. There was, a, there was a big underground excavation at the city of David, which ceremonially, ceremonially, I was given a sledgehammer to break through a makeshift, you know, plaster wall. And uh, that, you know, opening up the city of David to American diplomats was considered so controversial that the New York Times referred to me from that moment on as a sledgehammer. They, they, they said a metaphor was born. So I used that metaphor uh, and turned it around uh, for the title of the book. Now, I want to get back. You had obstacles because you had to deal with Tillerson. You had deal with, he wasn't the only one that opposed what you were doing with Israel. You were changing policy in the United States. So let's look at some of the other problems that you faced and the obstacles that you did, and you overcame them, to your credit. Well, look, we had the Secretary of Defense, uh, General Mattis, who thought it was uh, unnecessary. Uh, Tillerson also thought it was you know, more than unnecessary. It would, it would put the U.S. In a, at a disadvantage diplomatically you know my my argument to the president was you know the world is watching to see whether or not um you're a politician like everybody else making a promise before the campaign and then ignoring it afterwards or whether you are, are going to have the courage of your convictions keep your promise and of course if you don't keep this promise what are you signaling you're signaling to the um you're signaling to the world that you're afraid of who the palestinians hamas the pa Hezbollah, I mean, the United States should be afraid of these entities. Israel's not afraid. Why should you be afraid? And and what you decide will resonate not just in the U.S.-Israel relationship, but it'll send a signal across the globe to Korea, to, to North Korea, to Iran, to Russia, that the United States will do what it thinks is right and won't be cowering in fear. And um, he he immediately you know grasped that as being sort of the, the, the critical issue. And, um, and and that's how, and, and, and one thing I'll say also, you know, Zev, uh, to the credit of uh, of uh, General Mattis, because, you know, after the president decided, um, Secretary Tillerson began to complain, well, you know, we're going to have violence in all our embassies from Morocco all the way to uh, to Pakistan, you know, across the entire Arab world, we're going to have violence. And, and Mattis, who was against the decision, he said in my presence, he said to uh, Secretary Tillerson, he said, look, the president has made a decision. Uh, I didn't agree with it. But we have to execute on it. And um, I can assure you, uh, especially after the lessons we learned from Benghazi, that the United States knows how to protect every single embassy in the world against any harm to its diplomats. And I guarantee you that no, not one hair will be harmed on anyone anywhere from this decision, even though I don't agree with it. And that to me was really, you know, America's military at its finest. I mean, that even though I didn't agree with Mattis ideologically, I thought that was such a uh, exemplary uh, statement of, of how the military is supposed to work. Who said that you're too Jewish? <laughs> you know, I didn't put it out in the book. It's, 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 I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll reveal for the first time 
because uh, most people ask me who's the guy. It was actually a woman. I'll tell you that. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to. Ma- I don't want to make this about anybody individually. Um, but I, I was certainly told that. And what? And what co- context did it come about that you were accused of being too Jewish? So the president was coming to Israel for the first time, and um, uh, we wanted him to come to the Western Wall. It would be the first time a sitting president ever visited the Western Wall, and I was pushing for it very hard. Uh, I was also pushing for him to meet with Prime Minister Netanyahu at the Western Wall. Uh, the State Department was pushing back, and, th- and they actually prevailed on that You know, early on. They pushed back and said, you can't do that because then that would be a uh, statement by the United States that we accept Israeli sovereignty over the Western Wall. We don't want to do that. I said, well, you know, why not? I mean, you're telling me it's controversial that Israel has sovereignty over the Western Wall, and they were pushing back. So I pushed all these issues as hard as I could. We actually had a great trip. The president came to the Western Wall, and uh, and again, it, it was a history-making trip. But you know, I was pushing these issues, and I got a call that said, you know, enough. You know, don't be so Jewish. You represent the United States. And I said, uh, do you think I'm under any, you know, dissolution as to who I work for? Uh, I think this is something that would be great for the United States. Uh, and by the way, why do the laws of uh, political correctness apply everywhere except to the Jewish people? I mean, I'm not a politically correct guy, but if you're going to adopt that approach, don't you think the Jews should benefit but from it? It's not like you're too Jewish. You're not American. You're too Jewish. It's like the old stereotypes about the Jews, do loyalty. It's, it's anti-Semitic in a way. It, no, it definitely is anti-Semitic. And I'll tell you why. Because... Throughout my, uh, through, through, there are people in the State Department, there are people that I work with who are Christian, who are um, every bit, every bit as committed and devoted to Israel as I am. You know, I mean, most of them, I would say, or most of them are evangelical Christians, but they are committed to Israel and they love Israel. And no one would ever say to them, you know, don't be so Christian or hey, don't well, be don't, so. Don't, don't, don't be so Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> but but it just it just seems that you know the Jewish people are the only are the only ones who get this accusation of dual loyalty. By the way, there are people who are atheists who still think that in the United States government, who still think it's best for the United States to support Israel for a whole host of reasons. Uh, U.S. support for Israel is not unique to the Jewish people or a Jewish lobby or Jewish influence. America loves Israel because America loves Israel because it's best for America and the Judeo Christian values that make America great. They come from Israel. We're speaking with former American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. His must-read book is called Sledgehammer. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Branner. He is so smart, and he is so innovative. And he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. We're speaking with former American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. His must-read book is called Sledgehammer. When Donald Trump went to Israel, you put together a video. There was a whole scenario. You were afraid he was going to change perspective on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Tell us about what happened and what you did and the repercussions. 
Well, you know, the um, uh, the president had been informed by a number of people that that he respected that the um, that the Palestinians were ready to make peace, that they wanted to make peace. They were prepared to make enormous concessions like giving up most of Jerusalem, giving up the old city, giving up uh, a claim to repatriate refugees um, and that it was uh, Netanyahu who was digging in, refused to make peace. Now, who told them that? Well, I don't put that say that in the book either, but it was it was a a, a very well respected philanthropist in New York, a Jewish one. And, uh, yes, and so um, after that after that discussion, and I knew that wasn't the case. I mean, I knew, and we all knew that you know the Palestinians were not prepared to make those types of concessions. And of course, even if they were willing to make some concessions, Hamas was still committed to destroying Israel. So. Um, I was concerned the president was coming to Israel with a false impression. And so discussing this with Netanyahu, I thought that the, the best way to, to, to relieve the president of this misapprehension as quickly as possible is to prepare a video, not out of context, you know, nothing, nothing, no sound bites that are, that are, you know, that can, that are subject to misinterpretation, but sort of the, the actual statements of Abbas in Arabic that he's made, that really showed that he supports terrorism, he supports the compensation of terrorists, he considers the blood of terrorists to be holy, um, uh, he encourages that, uh, that, that malign behavior. And so we put together a tape, and during the meeting of the president and uh, Netanyahu, that included uh, Tillerson and me and, and Jared Kushner and some of the people on the Israeli side, I suggested that the Israelis play the tape for the president. And he saw the tape, he was very much... Uh, agitated by it, very moved by it. He was surprised. He said, is this the same guy that I met in Washington last month? He seemed like such a nice guy, this Abbas. He then went to Bethlehem the next day and uh, to meet with Abbas, and, and he, he read him the riot act. He said, you know, who are you? Are you, uh, you come to me, you tell me how much you love peace, how much you love, you, you love Israel, you want to make peace, and now you're, you're, you're telling terrorists to go out and kill Jews? Who are you? And he, he really, he really gave it to him. And, um, um, that changed the perspective. Now, a month or so later, I'm back in Washington, and I was asked to see um, Tillerson and, and Mattis, and, and they were furious. And they said to me, you know, what right do you have to prepare a video? You don't tell anybody about it. It's not on the agenda. You, you have, a, you have a, a, a formal meeting between two heads of state, and you just pull out a video and you play it uh, without clearing it with, with the Secretary of State, without clearing it with... The president's staff and i said look um did you know about what the president was being told and what he was thinking and they said no i said well first of all you should know that it should, it should be your job to know that but second of all look i'm going to make sure the president has the right facts i'm going to make sure he gets israeli policy right it's his decision but he's going to at least have the right facts and not be under, operating under misapprehensions and this to me was the the quickest best most most compelling way to, to, to help him understand these, these dynamics. And again, I'm going to keep making sure the president is well informed uh, for as long as I have this job. And even after I lose this job, if I do, I want the president to be well informed and I work for him. Did they and like that, was, that? Did they accept that? Not really. Not really. I mean, they did begrudgingly because that's actually the law. That's the way the ambassador president relationship works. But no, they didn't like it. Did they try to undermine you in any way with the president? <laughs> Yeah, no. The truth, the truth is that I mean, I'm sure they did. I mean, I'm six thousand miles away, so I'm not sure everything that's being said. But um, 
but the president really defended me. I mean, he he didn't really want to hear it, you know, and I think they again, you know, if you're the secretary of state or secretary of defense, you've got the whole world on your shoulders. I mean, they had so many other things that they had to deal with. I think they just concluded that when it came to the U.S. and Israel, other people were going to be involved, not them. But they still had a big world out there to keep them busy. Did you were you weren't you supposed to go to Ramallah as well with the president? Yeah, I was supposed to go so to what Ramallah. What happened? To- uh, Abbas Abbas wouldn't let me go because he felt that you know Bethlehem was was not part of Israel, and if I came, it would be a signal that somehow I was we were acknowledging that Bethlehem was part of Israel because I'm the ambassador to Israel. But did they burn an effigy of you? That was later. Yeah, I mean that was that was later. Okay. That was later. Yeah, well, they, they after a while they started getting a little angrier, and they used to burn burn something some replica of me uh, in Ramallah. What did you think when that happened? What went through your mind? I was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little, you know, I'm not used to anybody, you know, hating me, you know, I never, I don't, I don't, I hope to, I hope no one ever hated me before. And I certainly wasn't aware of it. So yeah, it's a little bit off-putting to see somebody that hates you so much. They're going to set something on fire that looks like you. But as I, as I pointed out once before, the effigy was actually very thin. So I, at the very least, at least they were burning, they were, they were making me look thin, which, you know, <laughs> I, I do struggle with. So what, that's what did Tammy say, your wife, what did she say? <laughs> she said, you look better in person. <laughs> we're speaking with uh, former American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. His must read book is called Sledgehammer. One of the crowning achievements that you have is, of course, the Abrahamic Accords. Do you get opposition from the left and the right? trying to put together this peace deal between Israel and UAE and other Arab countries? So, you know, the first step we made was um, we put out a, 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 a proposed peace plan between Israel and the Palestinians, which uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu supported, uh, Defense Minister Gantz supported. We were told it's the first plan ever written that satisfies the requirements of the Israeli defense establishment. But of course, Israel being what it is, there was a lot of opposition. And what what was interesting about it, I, I mentioned in the book that um, the, the Secretary of Energy at the time, his name is Yuval Steinitz, he came to me and he said, you know, the far left uh, thinks you're uh, hates the plan because they think you're creating, you're, you're destroying the two-state solution. And the far right hates the plan because they think you're creating a Palestinian state. So he said, given that, you must have, you must have landed in the right place given how given that now look it's you know it's it was a proposal and it'll be subject hopefully one day to to to, the people will will pull it out of the mothballs and focus on it because it really is the only plan that worked but what that did as it relates to the abraham accords especially when israel uh embraced it it showed the uh the arab world that israel really does want peace israel really is willing to to identify the terms the conditions the geography under which they're willing to make peace with the palestinians and, uh, you know, while the Palestinians went to the U.N. and tried to, you know, literally ripped up the plan at the Security Council, you know, we, we got pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good reviews from from Saudi Arabia, from um, from uh, the UAE, from other um, Morocco, Sudan, Morocco. I got, we got pretty good reviews. And by the way, all of that, I think, is really a credit to, to Jared Kushner. You know, I want to make sure it's clear. I wasn't the one, you know, selling the plan to to the Saudis or the Moroccans or the, or the, or the Emiratis, it was Jared. And, and he delivered a, really a diplomatic home run by, he got a Nobel by Prize convincing him. Well, he got nominated. Yeah. yeah I, I hope he gets it. He deserves it. No, he certainly does. 
in the few moments that we have remaining, uh, and certainly is a major accomplishment of the Abrahamic Accords. What would, how would you describe the relationship between the president and Prime Minister Netanyahu? So, you know, it's gotten a lot of attention lately. Um, there were some uh, comments that the, the president made that weren't flattering about Netanyahu, uh, primarily relating to the fact that uh, Netanyahu um, congratulated President Biden in the president's eyes uh, too, too graciously and too quickly. Um, it wasn't that quick. I mean, he wasn't in the top 10, you know, in terms of the ones that uh, that and, and, you know, and so the president reacted to that. Over the course of the four years, they actually had a very warm relationship. I think they, they saw eye to eye on a lot of things. And, um, you know, even that interview the president gave where he he was unflattering. He also mentioned the fact that he really like likes Bibi kind of deep down. So it's a complicated relationship. Uh, the president has a lot of complicated relationships. But um, I think um, I think net net, there was a lot of mutual respect. Now, one of the things I spoke to Tom Rose, who worked with Vice President Pence, he mentioned that in the White House you had glad kosher food, you had Shabbos meals, you had a minion almost every day, you had a sukkah. Let's look <laughs> at that because that doesn't get a lot of report reported, John. But it seems fascinating that that the Jewish life thrived in the Trump administration. Yeah, it did. I, you know, I wasn't there much for those things. I was in Israel, but yeah, it, there was there was a strong um, Jewish presence. Um, you know, we had the first ever. Um, Yom Ha'atzma'ut party uh, in the White House. There you know, never was an Israeli Independence Day party? What? There never. There never was never. an Israeli Day? Wow. No, they never had one before. They had a Hanukkah party, but they never had a Yom Ha'atzma'ut Israel Independence Day party before, which I hosted um, one of the years that I was in town. So, um, look, there was a great love for Israel. Um, I'm sorry about that. Um, um, If it's, if it's President Donald Trump, you can get it. We're speaking with former American ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. Go ahead, Mr. Ambassador. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Look, there, there was a there was um, there were a great number of people in the White House, uh, not just Jewish people, but a great number of people who loved Israel, who loved the relationship, who respected the relationship and wanted to make it stronger. Uh, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just Jason Greenblatt or Jared Kushner. There really were a lot of people and uh, from all different uh, sides of the, uh, of the file. And, um, and uh, we, we, we were a great team. I, I, miss, I miss a lot of them. I still stay in touch with most of them. And I hope we're back together again one day. And by the way, you did a great job because there were forces that didn't want to see the Abrahamic Accords, didn't want to see the embassy move to Jerusalem. You had a lot of sniping going on. You mentioned some of it in your book, I'm sure. Was it worse than what you portrayed in the book, by the way? Because even to get you confirmed, it was a whole process because people didn't want to see you in the role that you were in. It, it was a process. Um, but, um, you know, I, I had I had faith in, 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 the, in, in the path that I was taking and... Um, you know, I, I I I would go through all that again in a second uh, in order to uh, to get back into this job. You think it's going to happen? What's your gut feeling tell you? You know, it's 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 up to God. I don't know. Whatever whatever he decides will happen. And and I'm sure the president loved your faith. Did the president mention that he noticed the distinction between Orthodox Jews and non-Orthodox Jews as far as support that he enjoyed within the Jewish community? It was almost monolithic in the Orthodox one and the opposite in the non-Orthodox community. Yeah, he's he's observed it from time to time. Uh, I think it frustrated him. Um, you know, he he naturally assumes that all Jews 
should love Israel. And therefore, because he was so pro-Israel that they would, by extension, that they would love him. And and he's just very surprised that there are so many Jews that, uh, as to whom Israel is, is not a, not even a, a top five issue or a top 10 issue that they vote on. And, and it frustrated him. Uh, you know, he knew from me that, you know, the, 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 the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel is a core principle of our faith. I mean, you, that, you know, if you don't think that that's going to happen, you're, you're, you're missing out on, on most of what it is to be Jewish. So he understood that and, and it surprised him and it frustrated him, it frustrated me too. But, um, but on the other hand, you know, we, we had, there were pockets of, uh, of Jews, uh, a lot of Orthodox, not all, not only Orthodox, but there were certainly pockets of Jews, pockets of Israeli Americans, you know, especially living in, uh, living in uh, Florida. You know, we got about 42% of the Jewish community in Florida. So while, you know, we got maybe 30% of the Jews across the board, the ones that were in New York, we were going to lose New York anyway. You know, the ones in California, we were going to lose California anyway. Florida, which is a purple state, which we had to win, we got 42% of the Jews. So there, there, there was a significant um, support there that we needed. Did you Now, there were just such partisan behavior. People either loved Donald Trump or they hated him. Did you, were you ever the focus of the hatred that people had towards the president when you went in different places speaking or being there? Did you feel that? Did people attack you? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, many times. Uh, it was painful. You know, I, uh, I took this job uh, with, with very specific uh, goals to strengthen the U.S.-Israel relationship. That's all I focused on. That's what I cared about. I thought the president uh, deserves, you know, an A plus in that category. I thought our relationship was was extremely successful, and um, you know, I would go someplace and I would start getting attacked on some other issue that I had nothing to do with. Which, frankly, I mean, I, I could I would come to the president's defense because I thought they were they were defensible positions, but I found myself immersed in all these other issues that I had really nothing to do with. Mr. Ambassador David Friedman, I thank you for your service because you did a tremendous job. It was under stress. People tried to undermine you every step of the way, but you persevered for Israel, for Judaism, for the country. And by the way, my final question as, as, I, as I, we close out is part of the Abrahamic Accord was is that Israel couldn't really expand Yehuda and Shomron areas. You were a big proponent of that, but did you find the conflict with dealing with that particular issue where you had to give in on that? Look, I I, um, I I saw it as a as a necessary compromise to get to what I what I agree with everyone is, is was the better outcome at the time, and I explain why in the book. But remember, um, Israel wasn't forced to to cancel its plans to uh, have sovereignty over parts of Judea and Samaria, and this was a negotiated point. the The obligation was to suspend. Suspend is you know by definition temporary. So where we are today, look, it's it's on the table. It's no longer a toxic issue. It's an issue that I think you know uh, we'll 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 get back on the table at some point. Uh, and and no one uh, in the Arab world has asked Israel to cancel uh, or or to nullify those plans. So I I think you know we'll get to the right place in due course. Mr. Bass, I want to thank you for your public service for what you did. May I recommend people read your new book, Sledgehammer, which is doing great and continue to do so. If they make a movie, who would you like to see portray Ambassador David Friedman in the movie of the book? Well, I just want somebody handsome, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, George Clooney would be great. You know, Michael Douglas, if um, he, he might be okay. He might be a little bit old. 
But, um, you know, somebody, somebody of that ilk would be great. And thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevbrenner at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalkLineNetwork.com. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.